as a juror, as a young juror at that, to listen to um, this criminal case. I'm not going to go into the details of the case because it was, it was a pretty horrific situation, but my job as a juror was to listen to the witnesses, to look at the evidence, and then us as a collective unit to decide the verdict of what, um, whether or not this guy committed the crime that he was accused of. And after deciding all of that, we ended up deciding, I mean, absolutely, yes, he did. But we had to consider all of those factors. And whenever I was preparing for this message, I was kind of drawn back uh, to that experience a little bit because tonight the passage that we are going to be digging in, uh, which is going to be Acts chapter 4, uh, verses 5 through 12. So Acts chapter 4, verses 5 through 12. What we see is that the message of the church was on trial. What we see is that Peter and John, who we're going to read about in just a few minutes, they were brought before the religious leaders of the day because of the message that they proclaimed and because of a miracle that had happened through them. Tonight, we are going to look at that message. We're going to look at its witnesses, we're going to look at the evidence that they brought up, and then we're also going to look at the verdict that they displayed as well. So tonight, if you would join me in uh, reading this passage together, Acts chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 5. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Anas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them. By what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. So that's our passage for tonight. And the first thing that we're going to look at is the witnesses. And the witnesses that we see here are empowered disciples. Now, if as I was reading and we were going through that text, you feel like you were jumping into the middle of a story, that's because we were. Okay, so really to figure out and to understand the context of where this passage is set, we actually have to look in Acts chapter 3. And what happened in Acts chapter 3 is Peter and John, as they were going in the temple to pray at about three in the afternoon, there was a paralyzed man who had been paralyzed from birth, and every day he would be brought to the entrance of the temple, and he was there begging for, for money so that he could buy food and all the other things. Well, as Peter and John were going into the temple, he asked them for money. And he uh, actually went back to begging other people, but Peter and John asked him to look at them. And what they said was that they didn't have any money, but what they said in the name of Jesus, they told that man to get up and walk. And all of a sudden he was able to do that. His legs were strengthened, his ankles were strengthened, and then he became to walk and he was praising the Lord. And obviously, like if 
If a paralyzed man that everybody knows that every day he's at the entrance of the temple begging for money is all of a sudden healed, that's going to draw a crowd. I mean, that just, that's, that's a miracle. Why wouldn't it draw a crowd? Well, what Peter and John do in that moment, once that crowd is drawn together, they begin to preach. And they say, it's not our power that did this. It is by the name of Jesus Christ who has been raised from the dead. That is the power that healed this man. Well, the religious leaders of the temple, they did not like that. They didn't like that. And so they actually had Peter and John arrested and they spent the night in the temple jail. And so where we're at within our passage is that Peter and John are now brought before the religious leaders, the leaders of the entire nation of Israel, and they are basically on trial before them. And what we see here within our passage tonight, especially at this first uh, point that we're at of examining this message, we see witnesses in Peter and John that are empowered. If we look at verse 8, We see, then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, rulers of the people and elders. That specific part of the verse, it says, filled with the Holy Spirit. What that part of the verse is saying is that if you think back um, on what we've been studying in Acts over the last couple of weeks, the promise that that Jesus gave before he ascended back into heaven at the Father was that he would send his Holy Spirit to come upon them, and that they would be the witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so in Acts 2, we see that spirit come upon the apostles and the disciples. And so now we see that right here that the followers of Jesus who have trusted in Jesus, they have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. And this passage here is actually a fulfillment of a promise that Jesus gave Peter and John and all of his disciples back in Luke chapter 21. Um, Jesus was talking about at the end times whenever they would be persecuted. And in Luke chapter 21, verses 12 through 15, listen to this promise that Jesus gives his disciples as he is about to head up, uh, up or as he's about to be crucified. He said, but before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and the prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to bear witness. Therefore, make up your minds not to prepare your defense ahead of time, for I will give you such words and a wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or to contradict. What we see here in Acts chapter 4 is a direct fulfillment of the promise of Jesus. That, hey, if you're going to follow me, you're actually going to be persecuted. You're actually going to be brought up before the synagogue and before the, the rulers. Your life will actually be at stake. But I will be with you. In fact, I'm going to give you the words. I'm going to give you the wisdom that those who are coming against you, that they, they won't be able to contradict it. And we see here that because Peter and John were followers of Jesus, who trusted in Jesus, who walked with Jesus for three years before Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead and now have the Spirit dwelling within them, they have Jesus' Holy Spirit filling them and equipping them to be able to speak to those who are questioning them. You know, when we think about the filling of the Spirit, 
if you are a believer in this room, you have the, the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. And when we talk about the Spirit, it is basically, you may have heard Pastor Steve mention this, is that it is like the wellspring of the Holy Spirit flows out of you. What is within your heart of the Holy Spirit dwelling within the innermost being of your soul, he takes over and all of a sudden flows out of you and begins to allow you to submit to his will and to speak the good news of the message of Jesus. And we live fully within what he desires. You you may have heard the analogy of, of like, having a glove and having a hand like fit in the glove and the Holy Spirit being the hand and we're just being used by God and being the glove. So if you think about a glove, if you have it off of a hand and you have it off to the, to the side or on the floor, it just gains dust. It has no power. It has no ability. It's just, it's just there. It's just an object. There's no real use to it. See, the use comes whenever the hand comes in the glove and it does exactly what the hand wants it to do. The, the glove has to bend to the hand's will and what and its use is. Well, in the same way, when we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit and being empowered by the Holy Spirit, that's what we're talking about here, is that we are being completely submitted to the will and the desires of the Holy Spirit, and we're just instruments. We're just being used by Him. That's what Peter and John did. Whenever the, the miracle of the, of the man who was paralyzed happened, if you go back and you read that passage, they claimed no power of their own. They claimed that it wasn't them. They had no ability to make this paralyzed man healed. They were just the conduit through which the Holy Spirit did its work. And so as we look at the witnesses uh, that is of this message, they have to be disciples they have to be empowered disciples as well. When the message goes out, it has to be delivered by people who actually follow Jesus and trust in him and believe in him and walk with him, but are also filled with his Holy Spirit. If you want to know how you can, how you can be filled with the Holy Spirit, the key thing is to abide with Jesus every single day. Because in, in abiding in him, like what it says in John chapter 15, by us abiding with him daily, we are able to bear the good fruit of the Spirit. It, in fact, in John 15, it says that if we do not abide with Jesus, then we cannot do anything good. We have to rely and abide on Jesus. So we do that every day through prayer and through reading of the word and going and telling others about Jesus. So I, qu I question you all tonight. Are you an empowered disciple? Do you follow Jesus and then do you Walk with him daily to be able to be completely submitted to his will, his desire, his design. To where you, maybe when you are in the middle of an interrogation of why you're living a certain way, or why you're acting in a certain manner, or why you think a certain way, that you're able to tell the message of the church. Tell the message about what we're about to get into in just a second. Are you truly putting yourself in a posture to be used by Jesus? You see, Peter and John, they probably went to the temple every single day to pray. It was a normal kind of day for them. But in their normal life, they were used incredibly by God in a miracle-like way. And brothers and sisters, that, that's not something that's limited to, to the Old Testament or in the New Testament. It's not limited to the time of the Bible. No, that that can happen today. God can use you as a disciple of Jesus to, 
to bear witness about Jesus and his power. So when we look at the witnesses of this message, we see that it's Peter and John, that they are empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they are disciples of Jesus Christ. But we also see that there's an evidence that they point to. And if we look in verse 9 here, it says, If we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he is healed? So before we go into the rest of, the, of what they get to, let's focus in on what they point to. They point to a disabled man, a paralyzed man, who is now healed. If you go back up to verse 7, that the question that the religious leaders ask is, by what power or in what name have you done this? When the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders, the high priests, when they're asking that question of by what power and by what name have you done this, what they're asking is, um, who allowed you to do this? So a question of you know, permission, and do we agree with them? So it's kind of like a, a quality check, okay? Like, hey, we are the religious people of the day. We are the authorities. We didn't tell you that you could do an act like this and begin to preach that message. So who did it? Who allowed you? And instead of immediately answering their question, what Peter and John actually do is say, hey guys, let's remember what we're talking about here. This guy was paralyzed and now he can walk. And so it's not like it's a bad thing that we did. In fact, it's, a, it's an incredible thing. It's a miracle. Why did they point to that first? Well, when we look at the rest of, of their argument there, you see these religious leaders, they crucified Jesus. They were a part of the crucifixion of Jesus. They denied his resurrection. If someone is dead, they have no power. If someone is dead, they have no authority at all. But what they say is that this man, in a miraculous way, was healed by the name of Jesus. So Jesus is actually the one who granted that authority. Jesus is the one whose power it is. And if he's healing this man then he must be alive. Because think about your phone. If your phone dies, it can't do anything. And it really can't. It's just a brick. When you die, your body, you can't do anything at all. You're dead. It's, you know, a kind of like, picture this in your mind. So a couple of years ago, our world experienced a, a pretty significant moment whenever we saw um, the, the nation of Afghanistan fall. So just stay with me for a second. When the Taliban took over Afghanistan, which now we've got several Afghan refugees within our city that you can help minister to, which, but that's a side note. Um, but whenever the Taliban took over Afghanistan, all of a sudden the Republic of Afghanistan fell. Like it, it did not come, there's no longer that government entity anymore. If you were to go over to Afghanistan right now and you would have somebody come up to you and say, I represent the Republic of Afghanistan they would have no authority or no power to back it up. That government is dead. They don't have any force to be able to enforce their will or their desires, and they also don't have that power at all. If something dies, they have no ability anymore. And whenever Peter and John, Peter specifically, is referring back to this miraculous occurrence of a man who was once paralyzed but now he is healed, something that 
the, the religious leaders could not deny. Later on in the, the chapter, you can actually see that they say this is an obvious sign that we cannot deny that this man was paralyzed from the moment that he was born all the way to the time that he was 40, but now he's healed. The religious leaders continued to deny Jesus' resurrection. But what Peter was saying was that if he is healed, then Jesus is actually alive. He has been raised from the dead. He can't be dead in healing. He would have no power whatsoever. The evidence is plain. The evidence is real. You cannot deny it. It is not by anything that we did. It is only by the name of Jesus that this man was healed. So I question you, young adults, do you have evidence in your own life? Do you have evidence that Jesus has radically healed your body, that has radically healed your soul? Is that evidence within your life? Because Jesus right now is alive and he is still healing. He is still doing the miraculous of saving people which is actually what our verdict is. Our verdict here in in our third point is that the verdict is that there is a powerful Savior. That is what Peter and John rely on, is that we we are the witnesses. We are the ones who have seen Jesus. We saw his ministry from the moment that he started to the moment that he died and his resurrection. And now here, even before your eyes, we have a healed man. So the only verdict that can be is that there is salvation and that he is a powerful Savior. If we look at verse 10 and going through verse 12, it says, Let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Peter and John, they get to this point of, we're the witnesses, you see the evidence here. But yet, maybe if you read this text, you're like, okay, we're talking about a physical miracle here. How did we get to all of a sudden we're talking about salvation? Well, what Peter is getting to is this physical healing, this physical miracle is imagery of what Jesus does spiritually to the whole person. When he saves someone, he saves them entirely. He saves their spirit and salvation can only come to him. See, that miracle was to serve as a testimony to what Jesus can do. If he can heal you physically, he can heal you spiritually. If he can heal you in this manner, then he is the only way that you can be healed and that you can be delivered spiritually. And what they say here is also that Jesus is the only way of salvation. They say for no one else, there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. You know, we're, we're right now getting into fall, right? All right, so we've got all these corn mazes that are popping up now over at AgriCenter Jones Orchard. I love a corn maze. The thing about a corn maze is that you can get twisted around and you can be turned around pretty quickly and you're like, I don't know where we're going. But the goal is to get to the center, right? The goal is to accomplish and to make your way through the maze and to find the, the center point. Well, in a corn maze, you've got multiple different options to get to your, your spot, most likely. You know, if you, if you actually end up on the wrong path, then you may just get stuck. In the maze of life, 
there is but only one way to salvation, to eternal life, to an abundant life as well. And that is only through Jesus. You see, the religious leaders, they thought that this way to get to that abundant life or to that deliverance was through moralism. They thought that if you follow the law completely, if you do exactly what, what they say is right, then, then you will be good, that you'll reach you know, that salvation. They're saying, no, it's, it's not moralism. That's not the way that we can go. It's not relying on the law. You see, what the Greeks thought and what the Romans thought was that it was through wisdom, like what our passage earlier said. If we have enough knowledge, if we have enough understanding, then that is how we will get to enlightenment. That is how we will get to the full life. What we probably see here in our modern time is that people think that if I can become my best self, then I will live the, the most abundant life. If I do what I think is right in my own eyes, if I think if I do what it feels right to for my for my body or for who I am, then that is how I can live the best life ever. Well, those are all dead end paths. They they are literal dead end paths. They will end up in spiritual death. But what we have here is that we have a verdict from the message that that Christ is the only way of salvation. Many of you in here may be pursuing your own path of where you think you'll experience that abundant life or where you think that you will find that ultimate deliverance. Only through Jesus can you actually have that ultimate perfect healing, that deliverance from sin. You see, we all have been paralyzed by sin. We all have this deadly disease of sin, and the only way that you can get out of it is by Jesus. You see, we see that the verdict here is that there's a powerful Savior. We know that this is true, but the reality is, is that Peter kind of flipped the script on the religious leaders. While they were on trial, but Peter and John, he actually made it to where the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, they were actually on trial. Because what he says here is that they are the ones that rejected the stone. They were supposed to be the builders for the nation of Israel. They were supposed to be laying the foundation for the people to believe and to follow God. And yet the very source of salvation, they threw it off to the side and they had him crucified on a cross. But yet he has become the foundation of saving faith, of a true faith in relationship with God. He is the one that is, Jesus Christ alone is the only source of our relationship with God. So what Peter is saying, you are actually the one that are, is guilty. Jesus, he's alive. He is a powerful savior. But what he's actually doing is looking at all of them and saying, you are the one who rejected him. You are the one that threw him off to the side. And he is the one that has become the cornerstone. And young adults, I have to tell you today that we have the same verdict on us. We all do. We've all been guilty. We all are guilty. We all have rejected Christ. The very cornerstone of an abundant and eternal life, we threw him off to the side. We went on our own way. And we have to live with the consequences of that verdict. But I want to encourage you tonight in the same way that Peter gives an invitation to the Sanhedrin, I want to give that to you as well. In verse 12, he says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we 
must be saved. You see that we there, Peter is saying, not we as in Peter and John, he's saying we in front of the entire religious leader. And and in front of his jury, he's saying, by we must be saved. You have to be saved by Jesus just as much as we are. So So though there is a guilty ruling on your life, there is a pardon that is extended to you right now. In the same way that you have failed God, the way that you deserve death, at the same time that he pronounces that judgment, he says there is pardon that is found only in Jesus. And through Jesus' crucifixion on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, you can skirt past the punishment for your sin because he's the one that paid for that punishment. That death on the cross is the death that we deserve. But praise God that he rose from the grave. And so as we think about the message of the church, the the only message of the church, the message that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the only message that you have to preach is that salvation comes through Christ Jesus alone. That he died on the cross and that he rose from the grave. And because of that, we can have salvation. We can have a relationship with God. So, for you all tonight, do you accept that verdict? Do you accept that Jesus Christ is the powerful Savior? You see, in in our world today, there are a lot of people that go to court that are convicted as criminals and that see the verdict and they just deny it for the rest of their lives. They live in a false reality. You are faced with that same choice tonight if you have not trusted in Jesus, if you've not repented and believed in Jesus, you can live in ignorance, but it's still going to lead to a dead end. It's still going to lead to the, uh, a false belief in a false way that will lead you to nowhere. But I want to tell you tonight that there's salvation in Jesus. So is there also evidence within your life? Is there evidence that people can see that you have been changed by God. That healed man, everybody knew something happened to him. He was praising God, even if they didn't know him before then. They knew something happened because he was praising the Lord. He was telling everybody about what had happened. Is that evidence in your life? And what message are you telling the world? What message is on your heart and on your lips? Maybe some of you all tonight, need to take a moment and you need to submit yourself to the message of the church and commit yourself to telling this message to everyone. As the the band uh, comes up in in just a second, I'm going to ask that you take a moment and that you think about what you have done with this message. Are you living in a way that you are being completely obedient to the Lord and that you are walking as an empowered disciple? Are you abiding in Jesus every day so that you can be that living testimony of what God has done that shares this message? What Are you truly allowing the evidence of that changed life flow out of your life? Or are you falling back into sin And that evidence is being covered up now because of the things of the world, because of 
the ways that we've gone our own way. But I'll also ask you, have you trusted in Jesus for the only way of salvation? The evidence is clear. He's alive. The evidence is clear that he offers salvation to you today. But will you accept it?